Blog Talk Radio. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the BHITB podcast. I'm your host, Dante Fortson. Today, I'm going to be doing a Nephilim Q&A based on Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. So I touched on a Nephilim a couple episodes ago. People had questions. I didn't realize there were so many people who didn't know about the Nephilim. Um, I realized that, you know, it's not taught in a lot of the mainstream churches, especially black churches, but I didn't realize how many people didn't know. So I'm going to answer some of those questions so you guys can be on the same page as we continue through the rest of the series. Um, So this is going to be kind of like an addendum uh, to the series. For those of you who are not patrons yet, go check out uh, the Patreon page. You can go to blackhistoryinthebible.com. Click any of the Patreon links, and for $1, you get a great welcome package full of stuff. You get access to the Food for Thought sections, the Coming Soon section, and there's going to be more stuff coming uh, in the near future, so make sure you do that. And if you have not subscribed to BlackHistoryInTheBible.com yet and gotten your free book, Pre-Slavery Christianity, uh, go do that. Uh, Drop in your email address. The link to the free PDF is in the first email. You get the confirmation email, and make sure you click your confirmation link so you can uh, so you can get future updates on podcasts and uh, different Bible studies I put out. So let's go ahead and get into this. So let me give you some of my background and why I even brought up the Nephilim in the uh, first uh, show that I did on them. My background actually started. Well, let me skip to my interest. I was interested in the mythologies coming into seventh and eighth grade. And I don't know, I just always liked the stories, but I was always a Bible believer. So reconciling the two was just not something that was able to be done in the type of church we went to. We went to a Baptist church here in uh, Las Vegas. And so that wasn't the type of questions. Those weren't the type of questions you could get answered. So I started to research on my own. And during the course of that research, I ran across Chuck Missler. If you guys have not heard his Genesis 6 Return of the Nephilim study, you should go listen to it. Uh, But Chuck Missler, he was the first pastor that I had heard even approach the subject of mythology and aliens in context of the Bible. And so that's where my research into the subject started. And then um, at some point in between there, I had become interested in aliens and UFOs and started to get into that. And the first time I heard about the rapture taking place was actually um, in a UFO magazine. And it was described as an event where aliens would come and remove all believers in Christianity and Christ um, in order, because it's an ancient belief outdated and that the rest of the world needed to ascend to a higher level. So that was the first time I'd heard of the rapture uh, belief was in that magazine. So anyway, over the course of the years, I took notes, and I kept those notes, and in 2009, I started putting together as the days of Noah were, and at the time, I was working at a local Christian newspaper. I was writing for them, and I wrote this article about the um, Nephilim, and they wouldn't publish it because they said it was too controversial. So I just kept writing and writing and writing, and then it turned into a um, published book, again, called As the Days of Noah Were, The Sons of God and the Coming Apocalypse. You can get it on Amazon. It's in PDF and paperback. Um, So I wrote this book, and it quickly became very popular. And some people to this day say it's one of the best books ever written on Noah's Flood. And I go through and I break down every aspect of Noah's Flood, including the topic we're going to talk about today, the Nephilim. And as the years have gone by, I did put out a second version of the book. Uh, So if you're going to buy it, go buy um, the second edition. It's updated with almost 100 pages more than the original, and it has a lot of updated information in there. But the second version 
Um, it was a lot more comprehensive because I learned a lot over the years after I wrote the original. And I was starting to see why Ancient Aliens was becoming so popular. Now, I wrote this before Ancient Aliens really became popular. And Ancient Aliens has become popular because the church refuses to deal with some of the stuff that Ancient Aliens does deal with. And the reason the church doesn't deal with it, deal with it is because it's locked into a lot of Eurocentric, um, Eurocentric rules, I guess you would say. And here's what I mean by that. So the Hebrews, um, in order to preserve the Book of Enoch and other uh, important writings, they hid these scrolls in Qumran. We know them as the Dead Sea Scrolls. One of the books they hid was the Book of Enoch. They also hid the Book of Jubilees. Both of these books, including the Bible, talk about a time when the angels came down, had sex with human women, and created hybrids that were on the earth. So they had three sets of texts that they hid that described this. Well, the Catholic Church, before, before these texts were found, the Catholic Church – well, let me go back before the Catholic Church declared this heresy. So Sextus Julius Africanus, he lived during the 2nd into the 3rd century AD, and he thought the idea of angels having sex with humans was embarrassing and too close to the mythologies of the past. And so he came up with what we call the Sethite theory that these were really the um, sons of Seth and the daughters of Cain mixing and that they weren't supposed to mix. None of this is in the Bible, but he still you know, pushed this doctrine. The Catholic Church accepted it. It became their official doctrine, and they made it heresy under the penalty of death to teach anything but that. The angel version was actually punishable by death, even though it was found in the, um, the scrolls and documents that the Hebrews left. Consider that for a moment. They just said, no, we're going to go with this whole new doctrine. And so this doctrine has flowed down into the modern church. So if you're going to a church that teaches that, the, um, that these were the sons of Seth and the daughters of Cain, just know that, that it has its origin in the Catholic church banned from teaching the original version under penalty of death. So everybody was afraid to teach it for all these years. So what you find, and I say this all the time, that there's a consistency in the truth. So you see that the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jubilees, the um, Book of Genesis all talk about this event. And when you start to look throughout history, you find that there is a consistent pattern. Most ancient belief systems involve a deity or deities, plural, creating everything. It starts like that in most religions. Then from there, they create a lower set of beings. The Bible calls them angels. They're still called gods in other mythologies. Um, and I'll get back to the word mythology in a minute. But they're still called gods and um, uh, ascended masters. And uh, there's, there's all kind of different names for them. I'm not going to get into a whole list of names. But there's a lot of different names for them throughout the cultures. They are slightly below the creator god or gods, in this, depending on which story you read. But they are above humans. So the Bible calls these angels. And these angels, I'm, I'm going to refer to them as angels, these angels or lower level gods, there's always a rebellion in the story. In the Babylonian um, belief system, you have Marduk who leads the rebellion and they end up cast down to earth, uh, but they become trapped between earth and the sky and some, some weird kind of limbo there. Um, the, the Bible, the Hebrews, you have the rebellion of Satan, and then he's called the prince of the powers of the air. And some people, you know, get into the second heaven, which I won't get into today. But uh, if you want to chase that down on your own, look into the second heaven and Satan. And then you have the Greeks, and you have uh, Zeus and the Olympians who rebelled against their father. 
and they became trapped on earth, uh, between heaven and earth, uh, and they dwelt on Mount Olympus. So you find this consistency throughout history and culture when you start to look. So the other consistency you find is that these beings that were trapped started to find human women attractive, and they started to come down, and they started to take human women as wives or rape human women in some cases. Um, there's a story called the Rape of Europa in the Greek mythologies. Um, if you want to look into that, we have the situation with the sons of God in the Bible. Some people believe it was consensual because they took him as wives. Some people believe that um, where it says all which they chose. I'm coming from Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, but all the wives that they chose um, – they were of their choosing, and the women had no choice, which would still be considered rape. So you have these stories of these events that are strange to us because they're not talked about in the church. And Jude, if you go to Jude and you read, um, I touched on Jude in the original, but he says, I will put you in remembrance, though you once knew this. So the story had already started to be forgotten, and Jude gets into that about the angels going after strange flesh, just like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I pointed out that the angels in Genesis 6 went after a different kind of flesh. They went after human flesh, and the people in Sodom and Gomorrah went after angelic flesh. So if you do want to listen to that, I believe it's episode 18. You can go back and listen to that breakdown. So let's get into what we find in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. The word um, – Let's, let's talk about something first, though, before I get into the words. So it's not just about the definition of the word. And many people confuse this. When they study, they go, you know, they have a strong, they have a dictionary, and they figure, okay, I look up the definition of the word, and that's it. And that's a problem I run into with a lot of people. They'll, they'll send me a message and say, well, Nephilim just means tyrant or bully. True. It comes from the root word nephal, which means to fall. However, Meaning doesn't stop there. There's also cultural context, history, interpretation. And I like to use the word bad all the time as the example. If you were to look up the definition of bad, it will probably, I didn't look it up, but it'll probably tell you something that's not good or evil or, you know, any, whatever it says. That's the definition. However, if you're in context and you're looking at the culture and you're around people who are not using that word in the exact definition form. For example, Michael Jackson's song, Bad. Was Michael Jackson talking about being not good or evil? No, he's using the word bad as in good. He's using it as a different way. I'm, I'm good. I'm good at this. Or if you say, oh, that's a bad dude right there, and they're playing pool and he's winning, you know that they're saying he's skilled, he's very good at what he does. Or if you're referencing a female, some guys will say, oh, she's bad. That means she looks good. So if you, if you look at just the definition without looking at the culture or the history of the context, you will miss a lot. So if we go back and look at the culture and the history and the interpretation of what's going on, the Benai Elohim, the sons of God, saw the daughters of men, the daughters of Adam. So this word Benai Elohim is an exact phrase. If you go look through the Hebrew hierarchy of angels, you will see the Benai Elohim. I believe they're either the last uh, or the second to last. They are a group of angels. And if it does not say Benai Elohim, when people are trying to refute this, if they are not finding you the exact phrase, Benai Elohim, it does not apply. They can find any verses they want to say God called Israel his son. That has nothing to do with the Benai Elohim. The Benai Elohim are angels. That can be verified. And again, as I said, there is um, – when you, when you look for the truth, there's a consistency. So the Nephilim definition – so we'll move on from Benai Elohim. If you want to um, get into them, I'm going to give you a bunch – a list of resources after this is done that you can go read. 
Um, the definition of Nephilim, it means to fall, comes from the root word Nephal. Uh, it does mean bully or tyrant. <clears throat> Excuse me, still clearing up a little bit of a cold here. Uh, so it does mean uh, bully or tyrant. But what they don't, a lot of these people who don't believe the Nephilim theory, they stop right there and they say that's it. And then they get into all this other stuff that has nothing to do with the Bible. They run back to the Sethite theory, as I mentioned, which is Catholic, um, Catholic-backed doctrine. But what they don't do is they don't check out the Greek Septuagint. Now, in the Greek Septuagint, the word is used, um, the word used is gigantis, which means the earthborn. The problem with the word gigantis is if you go do research into the gigantis and find out who they are, they are a race of giants that were at war with the lower level gods or the angels. And there's this war, and you find it throughout culture that these giants hated the gods or the angels because they were their fathers, and they were basically absentee fathers. They'd rape the women, get them pregnant, and they'd be gone and just abandon them. And so they were born with these supernatural powers that they didn't necessarily know how to use in all cases because they were half human, half angel. Now, if that sounds crazy to a lot of people, I'm going to show you several things in the Bible that does um, back this up. It's not just, oh, I'm coming from the mythologies and I'm teaching it as the Bible. No, no, no. I started with the Bible, which led me into this. So they have these race of giants. It's translated into English as giants. So if you're wondering how the word Nephilim became giants in your English Bible, it's because when they translated, they used um, the Hebrew text and the Greek text, and they used the word gigantis uh, when they were going back comparing the two, the, the Nephilim versus gigantis. And so they decided, look, look, the Hebrews teach that the Nephilim are giants. The Greeks teach that the, teach that the gigantis are giants. So we'll just translate it as the word giant in the English Bible. So Genesis 6, 4 goes on to say that these became the heroes of old, the men of renown. So the, the heroes of old, um, the, the Gaborim, the mighty ones, uh, Gabor is the singular, Gaborim, I-M makes it plural. It's Strong's number 1368. You can look that up. Um, so these hybrid beings, these hybrid creatures that were made became heroic or um, legendary people. Well, the, the term heroes is interesting that they use that term heroes. Go back to Greek. Um, it comes from the Greek. Go look up the Greek word heroes. The Greek heroes were hybrids. Um, if, you under, if you're a fan of Greek mythology like I am and just read it because you like the stories, you'll understand that the hybrids they're referring to the Hebrews were like Hercules and Achilles, and then there's a bunch of them. There's this period where the gods were taking women and creating hybrids, and these hybrids became legendary people. Ajax, I believe, is one as well. And uh, the Babylonians, same thing. You have Gilgamesh. Um, and you have there's, – there's a bunch of them all over the world. But basically, this is a consistent story all over the Bible. So the Bible uses this term heroes, which in the Greek refers to hybrids. It, ref it uses the term gigantis, which referred to the giants of Greek mythology that warred with the gods. It used the term benai Elohim, which is a Hebrew term that means angels. Clearly, what's being referred to here are not natural events. So anybody trying to interpret this as natural stuff is way off base. Now, as we get more into the story, you'll see that the text, including Native American beliefs, is that the Native Americans believe the Great Spirit sent the – some Native Americans, not all – sent the Great the great Spirit sent the flood to wipe out the giants. The Hebrew text teaches that God sent the flood to wipe out these Nephilim. 
So ask yourself, if the Native Americans are across the world in America, North America, South America, and Hebrews are over in um, more so Canaan, Egypt, that, that, uh, that part of the world at that time, and they weren't having context, contact, why would they come up with the same type of story? It's simple because that's the belief that was floating around. And if you um, look, there's over 600 flood stories around the world, and you will find that a lot of them uh, contain this story. So as we get into the flood, the flood wipes out these hybrids. And we're going to come back to this, um, some of this in a second. But the flood wipes out the hybrids, and then you see the rise of demons. You won't see the first demon mentioned until after the flood. And I'll give you a resource on demons. Um, um, matter of fact, let me see here. If you go to ministerfortson.com, that's my other website I run in addition to Black History in the Bible, there's an article called Demons in the Bible, The Complete Guide to Evil and Unclean Spirits. If you check that out, it'll give you a breakdown on the demons in the Bible starting from after the flood all the way through the New Testament. So these demons are believed to be the spirits of um, the Nephilim that died in the flood because they were part angel, part human. So if you're human and you die, you're supposed to either go to heaven, hell, or lay sleep. You know, just it doesn't matter what your belief is on it. When you're human, there's something else guaranteed for you to go to, right? Whether it be sleep until the resurrection or heaven or hell, um, that debate to me isn't even really important. It's not even, it doesn't even matter because you have no control over it. Um, but, where do you go if you're a spirit? Because, see, the spirits don't die. They live forever, and yet because they're human, something else is supposed to happen. So what happens is, according to the belief, they remain trapped here on earth in sort of like a ghost-like state. And when we see these hauntings, a lot of people believe it's their dead relatives. However, the belief is that these were the spirits of the dead Nephilim, and these spirits could take on any form they want. They were actually called daemon to the Greek, and it means knowledgeable ones. Uh, they, they had knowledge about stuff. Uh, when you get into the, some of the um, witch boards or Ouija boards, as we call them, um, they, they summon spirits. And a lot of people report that these spirits will start off seeming one way, and then it's revealed that they are lying or not who they pretend to be, or they have malicious intent. So these evil spirits became... Or the yeah the spirits of the Nephilim became the demons, which is why in the Old Testament you see angels with the ability to manifest, walk among men, grab people by the hand, eat, uh, wrestle with Jacob, fight, kill people. These angels could could manifest and they look like men, but when you get into the the later in the Bible in the New Testament you see demons they have to possess things. They don't just have the ability to manifest the body and walk around. So for those that think fallen angels and demons are the same thing, you are way off base. Fallen angels and demons are nothing alike. So in order to back this with more scripture, when you get into um, the New Testament, Christ in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have three different writers here, they all use the same term to describe demons. They call them unclean spirits. Well, in the Greek, it's Strong's number 169. It's akathartos. It means not pure, of a wrong mixture. Um, so they're saying these spirits are not pure spirit. They're a wrong mix. What mix would that be? Angel and human. It, now, you could you could come up with any any other explanation you want, but it's to me it's just interesting choice of words that they would call it a not pure spirit or a wrong mix spirit. When the background of those spirits is that they were indeed 
a mixture of something that should not happen. So jumping back to the Old Testament, in Genesis 14 is the first time we encounter the Rapha. Uh, the Rapha were a race of giants that descended from the Nephilim, and we know this because of several things. Um, the Rapha, Rapha means ghost or shades, which is what I was just saying about the Nephilim, but they were also known as the living dead. So when you see these stories about zombies and um, you know, the Night of the Living Dead, stuff like that. It has its origin in the Rafa. They were they were a tribe, and the people feared this tribe. And basically it was believed that when they died, their spirits remained and haunted the earth, just like the demons. Uh, they are The Nephilim are encountered after Genesis 6 in Numbers 13.33 as well. Oh, let me, let me, before I move on to that, in Genesis 14, that's the War of the Kings. The Rafa are sided with Sodom and Gomorrah. They're in league with Sodom and Gomorrah. They helped the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah in the plain in their rebellion. Um, so they are allies. And so um, it might give you some context as to what was really going on in Sodom. They knew these people were angels and they probably um, had been mixing with angels or had known of the ability to mix with angels at some point, which is may have led to the events there. So moving on to Numbers 1333, you encounter the Anakim. This is, this is the story where Joshua, Caleb, and the other 10 spies go in um, they come back, give the report. The ten say, "No, there's giants there. We should not go." The Nephil, they specifically say, "No, there's Nephilim there. We should not go." And Joshua and Caleb are like, "No, nah, let's do this." So this the Anakim, and so the Anakim, um, they're in the land, and I won't get into the full breakdown of the Anakim, but on ministerfortune.com, if you want to go check it out, there's a um, study the Anakim. It's called Arba, Anak, Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the complete genealogy of giants in the Bible. There is a full genealogy of giants in the Bible um, for the Anakim. And Arba is the grandfather, and you have Anak, and he has his three sons of Anak. Well, during the conquering of Canaan, when Joshua and Caleb and they, you know, the rest of the Israelites went and conquered Canaan, they came across Og, king of Bashan. He was a Nephilim. Sihon, king of the Amorites. Um, he was a Nephilim. And they killed a lot of these Nephilim, but they did not kill them all. Um, in Joshua 11.22, you see that some of the Nephilim escaped to Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. So if you're um, a fan of the story of David and Goliath, you will know that Goliath was from Gath. Now ask yourself, where did these Nephilim escape to? Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. So now when you get to 1 Samuel 17, you see the battle with David Goliath and a giant pops up there. You have some context as to where that giant came from. He, it says he was born to the giant in Gath. How did the giant get in Gath? He, they were probably descendants of the giants who escaped in Joshua's time. So that just gives you some context. And so if you want to look at the book of Job, um, in the book of Job, chapter 26, verse 5, there's a, there's a verse in there which you don't catch it if you don't really like dig into it. Um, it's just interesting. I had looked at it just because uh, the wording of it. It said, dead things are formed under the waters and the inhabitants thereof. And I was like, dead things are formed under the water. So I went and checked it out. It actually says Rafa are formed under the flood. Kind of interesting interpretation. Rafa were formed under the flood. One interpretation is waters, but another one is flood. And so I thought that was an interesting um, verse, and it's just kind of like a standalone verse. Rapha are formed under the flood and the inhabitants thereof. So it could be a reference to that. It could be just an interpretation issue. I wouldn't make a big deal of it. Um, but to give you a little bit more context, we got a few minutes left. 
All right, so um, the pre-flood Nephilim, they died in the flood, Genesis 7, 23. Um, according to Enoch, their spirits became de- demons. If you want to look that up in the book of Enoch, it is chapter 15, verses 8 through 12. Um, according to Christ, the demons were an unnatural mix or a wrong mix in Matthew 12, 43. Um, the Rapha were a tribe of giants that appeared after the flood, Genesis 14. Job links the Rapha spirits to the flood in Job uh, 26, 5. Isaiah 26:14 now. Isaiah 26:14 says the Rapha will not be resurrected. Interesting that the Rapha if they were just people and they died, why wouldn't they uh join the resurrection for a judgment? Now, this is um very telling that he says um that he says they won't be uh resurrected because in the New Testament, uh there is an event um, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, where Christ approaches a possessed man and the demons cry out and say, behold, it says, and behold, they cried out saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? So they know they have an appointed time. They know that time is torment, but they know it is not yet their time when he arrives. Why would just regular people know this? Angels would know this as well. However, we know that the angels didn't go and possess people. So you have this weird um, situation. Um, And it also occurs in Luke where it says, uh, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? Torment me not. They recognize Jesus before anybody else does because Jesus tells them to be quiet. So they, they knew he was the son of God. They knew who he was from the very beginning. And I pointed out in second Peter um, that, he had reserved the angels under chains of darkness, um, but they used the Greek word um, uh, when it says he cast them down to hell. Second Peter two four, they used the Greek word Tartarus, which is a separate place from hell. It's a it's a dark abode of torment um, where the angels are held in darkness. So it's possible that the demons know that they're going to get sent there, um, or possibly straight to the lake of fire. It's not clear. So now it's going to bring me to. Rob Skiba real quick. So Rob Skiba has this racist doctrine. He claims it's not racist, but it's basically racist. Um, it, it piggybacks on the curse of Ham, and he teaches that Ham, basically his wife had Nephilim DNA, so all of Ham's descendants contain dormant Nephilim DNA. And the reason and the reason for this is so he can say that, well, black people all are carriers of the Nephilim gene. Not true. And I pointed out to him, and this is kind of where we fell out in the beginning of our fallout, is because I completely shredded his theory and pointed out that if Ham is the carrier of Nephilim DNA and God's uh, goal was to wipe out the Nephilim DNA, this flood story wouldn't make sense because now God has left one-third of the people available for uh, appropriation as potential Nephilim carriers. So why would he wipe it out and then leave one-third of the remaining people with Nephilim DNA? And then not only that, as we travel through the Bible, we see that the Hebrews mixed with Hamites. So if the Hebrews are going to be mixed with Hamites and then God is going to use them as a chosen nation, that would mean the Hebrews are also DNA carriers. Because we see Joseph, Joseph, um, he marries um, Asenath, who's an Egyptian. And Egyptians come from Ham, so... If Asenath is a carrier of Nephilim DNA, it means Ephraim and Manasseh potentially carry Nephilim DNA, and they were given the um, birthright to the land. Um, you read that in the New Testament. 
So now potential Nephilim carriers have birthright to the land. So his his teaching goes further than what he likes to admit, but it does implicate that the Hebrews are Nephilim and not pure humans. So he teaches that. And he also teaches that the reason we can he that he can defend this position is because the Bible explains how the Nephilim got on the fur, on the earth before the flood, but not after. But if you go to Genesis six four, it says there were giants on the earth in those days, and there's a conjunction, and also after that. So it's connecting the two in those days and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men. What he doesn't like to tell you is that word when in Hebrew can also be translated as whenever, wherever, however. So it would basically say the giants were on the earth in those days and also after that, whenever the sons of God came into the daughters of men or wherever. So when we see these Nephilim pop up, just understand that there was some angelic activity going on that wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, the first group were believed to be 200 watchers, which you can get into. I'll leave the list of resources on the site. Make sure you go check out um, podcast episode 20 if you want the show notes along with all the resources and i'll get you all that all the information about the watchers and everything else make sure you buy as the days of noah were uh sons of god in the comic sons of god and the coming apocalypse if you really 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 want to get in depth on the subject so i hope i answered most of those questions make sure you tune in tomorrow i will be continuing our series this is satan's america so until next time i'm out